to come before your throne. Thank you, Lord. We always find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. So we thank you, Father, to meet every single need here according to your excellent riches by Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. So today, uh, the Lord told me to tell you sometimes faith ain't pretty. Amen. Sometimes faith ain't pretty. So you uh, have to understand that. That there are going to be different aspects of our walk with God. Uh, There will be times when we'll be called upon to reach out to God in such a way that we have to lose all sense of uh, pride, all sense of Sometimes dignity, man-made dignity. Um, we have to lose all sense of, of this world, I think, in order to reach God. And so, um, and I think it's probably that way to some degree all the time. For instance, if you are trusting God uh, to remove symptoms from your body, you declare that you are healed. You're going to look a little funny, foolish to people um, who just believe the natural. There may be times where people will get argumentative with you and want to contest what you're saying. Just because you speak of another world. And so it's going to be that way. There are certain rules and regulations uh, that come into play if you want to reach God that are contrary to what this world holds to. And what, what you might want to uh, consider to be the way you want to present yourself in a natural sense. And so uh, the fact that faith uh, will take you to places unknown <laughs> and and will cause you to do things you've never done before. Uh, it's it makes it otherworldly. Amen. It makes it may not be pretty by the world standards, but you got to know that faith will get the job done. And so the most important thing is that you focus not on the appearance of things or how you want to be perceived, but that you focus on the faith of God. So uh, uh, in Esther chapter three. We're understanding some things about uh, Esther's purpose for uh, being elevated to queen. Now she's where where they're living. Uh, the Jews really are in captivity again. If if they weren't in the captivity, she wouldn't be in Persia. But that's where she is, and uh, she and her uncle Mordecai. Uh, well, he's really her cousin. I always call him the uncle, but he's really her cousin. Uh, she has um, kind of been raised by him. Her parents left her an orphan girl. Uh, so in in the book of Esther, we see many, many images uh, that liken her to the bride of Christ or the Christians or people who are sold out to God even though she's a Jew there's always that connection between uh, Israel and the church in the Old Testament and so we see her uh, coming into focus after um, the queen reigning queen has been divorced by her husband uh, for disobedience she didn't know how to humble herself to him and to serve the way she's supposed to serve uh, it was was ruled by him not only by himself but his counselors that all the women in the provinces would rebel against their husbands if it were known that she refused the king 
and he did nothing and so she's deposed as queen and the search is on for a new queen and so they gather all the virgins the unmarried women from every province in in this kingdom and they are brought to the palace so that um uh, a choice can be made uh, as king he should have the choice of all of the eligible women in the province and it was so and so when it came to um, uh, Esther's turn she was selected now at this time it was not known what her her uh, background was her heritage was not known to anyone Mordecai her cousin however was known uh, in the palace and he was known to be of a Jewish faith even though he worked around the palace he had not sure what his job was he probably was there as some type of counselor or somebody with an assistant to somebody there uh, but he was very active there so he had an ear to the king's throne and knew exactly how to counsel her and what to tell her so it was his suggestion that she be um, uh, you know uh, in the Miss Persia contest as it were and uh, she's a contestant and uh, so anyway uh, so it, it um, in verse chapter 2 and verse 12 it says now when every maid's turn was came to go to King Ahasuerus after that she had been given 12 months according to the manner of purification so these women were groomed for 12 months so that their beauty could be revealed uh, if you were a, a peasant girl or a girl that that was just a normal kid in the household you weren't used to the finer things in life so when they talk about purification I I believe it means not only uh, physical beauty but also manners uh, um, palace rules and regulations decorum all of that kind of stuff you know how not to eat with your fingers and put your elbows on the dinner table and you know not eat too much the Bible says if you're given an appetite uh, put a knife to your throat <laughs> when you're in the presence of it rather than eat uh, as a glutton at the king's table so there are certain rules that you you obey when you're uh, in those situations and so she was was given that she was also uh, perfumed very highly uh, and and so there was to be this odor of her that carried even before or after she entered a room and uh, that was her calling card so to speak before the king and so uh, it says that she were uh, the days of her purification were accomplished and so it, it speaks of there being a purifying of Jesus's bride before he takes her uh, to be with him the bible says we're a sweet savor of Christ so these things are true uh, for us as well and verse 13 there came every maiden to the king whatsoever she desired was given to her out of the house of the women of the king's house so she probably had favorite outfit she had uh, certain uh, you know articles of, of uh, perfume that she needed things that she knew made her presentable and so she just wasn't thrown anything uh, she was um, actively involved in presenting herself in her best light before the king 
And verse 14, in the evening she went out, and on the morrow she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubine. She came in unto the king no more, except the king delighted in her that she were called by name. So here we get see the contest get narrowed down. You know, she's moved from the common house to the favorite house she's been able to select her own things that she knows make her look good and so uh, the, so the king came in and, and she was appointed in verse 17 the king loved Esther above all the women and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti so now Esther has been crowned queen in the province she they had a big feast and whenever he wanted to look good he brought her out etc etc and so uh, uh, the 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 um, uh, it says in verse 20 Esther had not showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her so he told her to keep it on the QT that she was a Jew for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like she did when she was brought up with him so she continued even after she was queen to keep her ear open for his counsel which is very important it's like being a a good father to your daughter and whenever she's got trouble or she's got something going on she still comes to that trusted adult counselor uh, for counsel so she can live her life in the right way so uh, Mordecai winds up overhearing a plot against the king's life and he reports it to the people in charge and they found out the charges were true and those men were eliminated Uh, but nobody ever made a big deal of it it was written down uh, as a a good deed that the king owed him something but never never was anything done to bless Mordecai as a result of that later on we find out that uh, this man Haman gets appointed second in command to the king he has authority to use the king's signature which is a signet ring and uh, he's able to sign documents and things of that nature with the king's approval in the name of the king so he's a very high up person however whenever so because of his status whenever he appears uh, anywhere everybody makes way bows to him honors him except Mordecai Mordecai just refused to bow to him because he bows only to God now this is uh, some people you know you hear people say things like uh, we have to obey the law of the land really if they conflict with God's laws we don't have to agree with abortion it's the law of the land you understand what I'm saying all these things that are laws of the land are always subject to God now if you have peace in your heart about obeying things you know that's one thing but Mordecai didn't get peace about bowing to this guy and so he refused to do it so you have to always let God have the final word in your life Uh, I remember when uh, Kim uh, what's the girl she was the recorder 
uh, in Tennessee, I think it was, she refused to sign a, a marriage license for a same-sex couple. And, uh, you know, you should see the people's comments on these little notes on Facebook and wherever. Well, she has to obey. If she's a Christian, she should obey and just do her job. And so when it came out that God had vindicated her, all the do-your-job people, you didn't see them comment anymore. You know, they, they're not so so boastful about things. It's good to keep hold your peace and let God settle things. You know, our opinions really aren't worth anything. Only thing worth anything is God's word. And so if you don't know God's word, you know, just hold your peace and pretty soon God will show up and speak for himself. Amen. And so when, when Haman saw this, he was very, very angry, uh, that Mordecai did not bow to him. Verse, uh, in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, he was full of anger. And he thought to lay hands on Mordecai alone, but then he thought to himself he didn't want to seem to be petty, so he decided to de devise a plot against Mordecai's people. Uh, Haman knew that Mordecai was a Jew and that was why he was refusing to bow to him. It's just like Christians in different nations in these Muslim countries. They have to hold on to their faith in God uh, even against stern opposition against them. It's that way in this country. We have people who are in our Congress who are uh, promoting Sharia law, uh, anti-Semitic to the core. If you're anti-Jew, you're anti-Christian. We have the same God. So don't think because they're talking against Israel, they're not talking against us. They, they hate the same God. Amen. And so when we see things like that, uh, we have to stand against them. You have to uh, make your voice known. Make it known to God. If there are people out here who are saying, uh, uh, you know, the Muslims are of peace. No, they're not. You know, they're even their Bible, their book, what they read tells them that they have to kill all the infidels. Are you crazy? You know, these same people who think they're so wonderful. When they start turning on them, you know, that's when they wake up. But we need to wake up as a matter of course. Now, we can live peaceably with any Muslim who wants to live peaceably with you. But they never correct their extreme people. See, they never denounce the extremists in their group. And that's what makes it difficult for people to judge how anybody who claims that faith will respond to them. And so it's best to to let God show you how to proceed in these things. But we're never peaceful about people who hate. Hate anybody. Hate Israel. Hate Christians. Hate Even if they hate Muslims, you're not peaceful with them. You shouldn't hate anybody. But these religious things, when they start to dictate everyday life, they should be uh, denounced and they should be ignored. And that's exactly what Haman did. Uh, I mean, what... what uh, um, Mordecai did before Haman. He just wasn't going to bow to whatever nonsense he was proposing. He he wasn't going to go for it. And so uh, Haman then talks about he he promotes a lie on the Jews in Esther three verse eight. A lie is started against um, 
Mordecai and his people, Haman said to the king, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among all the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Now this was a an act of God. God told Israel if they obeyed him he would take care of them but if they disobeyed they would be scattered. So now we see Israel is under a judgment from God because of their disobedience. They're scattered and now their lives are being threatened. And so he says they are diverse from all people. They don't keep the king's laws. Therefore it's not for the king's profit to allow them to live. And so he said if it please the king let it be written that they can be destroyed. And then I'll put some money up for this and it will go into the king's treasury. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it to Haman. And, and, and the king said to him, the silver is given to you, the people also, to do with them as you see good. And so the king um, uh, acknowledges this decree. Now kings are always uh, defending their kingdom against people who are against it. And so he, according to Haman's words, uh, he's fighting a people who are trying to overthrow his government. And so the king's scribe set a date, the 13th of the, of the first month. There was written all of these things that the people then were to turn against the Jews and were free to kill them and take all their possessions. And so it says, uh, uh, um, uh, once the decree went out they were sent out but the people were perplexed the people who lived in the city where the king was couldn't understand why this thing was was so so here you have a decree that people mm, might might obey and might not See, once the people are behind somebody, then it's a done deal. But here we have this little bit of dissension. We have this little bit of confusion about what the order is and why it's being given. When Mordecai, chapter 4, verse 1, when Mordecai perceived all that was done, he tore his clothes and sat cloth and ashes and went out in the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry so this is get ugly time because you know faith isn't pretty all the time uh, faith requires sometimes and uh, all, all times that we humble ourselves sometimes we like uh, to make a confession of faith is you know if we confess the word well that's pretty you know, confessing the word, and that's a pretty thing to do. You don't have to, you know, get sincere. You don't have to act humble. You don't have to, you know what I'm saying. He's give your confession, and sometimes your confession, you don't know why you're confessing the word. Sometimes we do it as a matter of routine. We do it sometimes wholeheartedly. We do it sometimes half-heartedly. Sometimes we don't know what to do. So well, I guess we confess the word. You know, I haven't said that in a while. I need to say that. So, you know, whatever is it almost in a, a thing of a vain superstition that we can get into with some of the things that we do as far as touching God is concerned. So there are some ways to touch God. There are some ways to touch God. There are some ways to look pretty in your confession and and look like you know what you're doing and you know feel comfortable within yourself. You know I'm just worshiping God and you know all that kind of good stuff. And so you know 
Esther represents when she's in her palace she represents pretty faith. She's just sitting there as a trophy. And she's there believing that she's supposed to be there but she's believing and she doesn't know why. Sometimes our prayers can be like that and our confession like that. We keep it all together. We've got check our checklist. I, I confess that. I spent ten minutes in worship, two minutes and you know, you know, that kind of stuff. And we never get deep into the heart of God enough to get something. No, we need to touch God. We don't need to be pretty. We need to touch God. We don't need to stay intact and, and keep our reputation among our peers. We need to touch God. And so Mordecai uh, knew that it was serious and he needed to touch God. Now before when he was getting Esther into the highest place in the palace and he's walking around there keeping tabs on things he never put it together that his faith would conflict with anything that she had anything to do with but the day will come when your need will conflict with your idea about serving what serving God is all about it will because you'll get to a point where the ordinary won't do anymore you know, your routine of, you know, I got up and I read my four chapters and, you know, your checklist. And so that's, that's, you're pretty. You, you do your checklist and you feel good about yourself. You go about your day. You expect good things to happen or you don't even know what you expect, but you've done your checklist routine of things to quote unquote serve God or stay close to God. Mordecai, understands that something deep needs to be done he understands that he's got to contact God and get an assurance from God before he can even be comfortable going back and forth to the palace so it hits Mordecai first and foremost because he is the one that he he probably knows within himself what triggered this response of the government against him and his people and so he knows that his only salvation now is to get closer to God see when he didn't bow to Haman that's kind of a pretty thing you know you serve God and you don't uh, keep company with sinners you serve God and you don't go to bars you serve God and you don't uh, go to goofy websites on the internet you serve God you you do the pretty amen and so you do what you you think within your human dignity is the right thing to do before God you don't touch this you don't touch that you don't do this you don't do that but if that does not keep you out of deep trouble you've got to find something else to do that's going to get you out of deep trouble and Haman understood mourning he understood fasting probably hadn't done it in a while probably not sure if he's any good at it not certain it's going to work because really prior to this time he's led a fairly comfortable life and so Esther the same you know they were they were uh, strangers in this strange land and God's favor got them inside the palace and so here he is he understands now that there's trouble and he wants to eradicate the trouble so he has to contact God in a real way
So he's crying out and put on sackcloth and ashes and been in the middle of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry. <laughs> Embarrassing Esther, his cousin who's in the palace. So he's up to the old, you know, the, you know, the old, uh, uh, Sometimes your old songs or your old, I remember every time I had a, a, a struggle or something, I had some favorite songs I would pull out. <laughs> I mean, worship songs and, and, and minstrel songs, you know, the ones that minister to you to hold on to God one more day kind of thing. And so, so those are the not pretty songs. You know, when you feel pretty, you don't pull them out. But when it's time to get ugly, you get those songs out. <laughs> you start trying to feel for God for real and he says he says he cried with a loud and bitter cry and it even came before the king's gate I mean he he could low down with it he didn't drag himself in front of the palace amen and it, it says for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth so he's presenting himself before the king he don't care where he is he said hey i need mercy and i need it bad and i need it now i don't know if this is going to get me anywhere but i'm going to do it anyhow but he refused to come out of mourning sackcloth represents mourning afflicting your your soul afflicting your flesh uh not being comfortable it's a representation of your inner discomfort it says in every province wheresoever the king's commandment and decree came there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So this was a in a way this persecution now becomes a unifying force for God's people because it looks like they're all doing the same thing. I mean, it's ain't hard to do the sackcloth and the ashes. Just pull them out and and mourn and weep and get back to your roots and get back to God. And so Esther had all the while been ignoring her Hebrew roots. She wasn't, you know, she was, I don't know, out of touch with God, whatever. But she was there as a plant uh, in that that in that uh, kingdom and so when you're there not in touch with who you are and who your god is it's easy to just let yourself get absorbed into your new identity see so deep in her roots she's got some connection with these people but now she's been elevated so this is where your conflict comes in this is this is a conflict you know i like you know, I, I, I'll make fun of these little terms that Christians start using. Queen. And, you know, because they don't really know what that means. And when, when people just pick it up and put it on the t-shirt, to me it's carnal. Because we're not really queens yet. In fact, the Bible never refers to the bride of Christ as a queen. Huh? So that's a term that doesn't even belong to us. It's a designation that's not really ours. See, until we leave this earth, we are engaged, so to speak, to Christ. The marriage supper of the Lamb is over on that side. So you got to wait until you get over to that side before you even assume real royalty. 
You know, now we're a royal priesthood, which means that we identify with the ruling and reigning of Jesus' power down here on earth in this dispensation. But the final crowning will not come until we go to heaven. So you're not a queen down here. Any more than, than prince, princess, whoever, them, them princesses over there in England are queens. The, the reigning queen's still alive. Somebody else has that position. And so when we, we understand who we are and where we are, it's a kind of a sobering thought. Because queens die just like kings die. You know, that's a natural title for a natural purpose. But let's not get, get carried away in titles and, and things conferred upon us before the time. There will be a time for that. But that time is not quite now. And so we have to understand who we are as believers in this now realm and function properly there so that we can get the work of God done. He needs people going to work for him. He needs a priesthood. Even though the royal part of the priesthood means we have authority over all the works of darkness. We have kingdom authority and that's all that means. It doesn't mean you're a king, a queen, a prince or nothing. It means you have authority, rulership authority over the kingdom of darkness. So use it. And quit the titles and quit the stupidity and quit all this fake stuff and be real. And so, you know, Esther, if you will, is running around the palace with her queen t-shirt on. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, feeling good about herself. She should. She's won the contest. But she's got to remember who put her there. So just sometimes when you're slipping away over into the world... And feeling real good about yourself and what God's brought you and how you're accomplished. And do you get this and get that. You get all these other good things. Up jumps the devil with God's permission to challenge your thoughts about who you are. That's all that's happening here. Mordecai respects God but he's doing it in a way that's going to jeopardize his life. It was never like that before. See, he's running around the palace. He's got a little favor with the king because he did him a solid one time. So he's got to get paid back. And so life is good until he has to stand up for God. And then that's when you find out who everybody is. See, when it conflicts with your inner peace about your relationship with God and you decide you're going to stand up for him, then that's when your world will get disturbed. You see what I'm saying? And so it's time for their world to be disturbed. It just is. God wants to bring them back. See, they're a scattered people. God always promised to return them to their land. So this is a step in them returning. How are they going to return if God, if life is good in all these provinces, how are they going to return to God unless he called them? 
So when he calls anybody, he calls you to repentance first. He calls you to step away from your normal routine and step away from your pretty life and step away from your dignified life where you don't have to look humble in front of people. You don't have to look any kind of way. Uh, you can keep your pride and keep your whatever intact and still call yourself a Christian. But there will come a time when everybody has to prove their love to God. you got to prove who you are. It, it's not going to pass you your whole entire lifetime. At some point you're going to have to step up there and step in there and let God know that you're for him and humble yourself in front of many people. So uh, um, Esther then uh, when when she sees Mordecai carrying on out there in the yard right in front of her house she like hey wait a minute uh so it says he he was in verse 4 Esther's maids came to her chamberlains and told it to her and when the queen then the king queen was exceedingly grieved and so what did she do she wanted to make him pretty too she says I'm sitting up here with my queen shirt on and he's out there carrying on let me stop this before I get in trouble so she sends him out some clothes to put on. You know, come on, Cousin Morty, don't go back with them old heeb ways. You know, we've we've grown since then. We don't we don't we don't uh, fast anymore. We don't you know we don't just uh, you know go and march around the building seventeen times and stuff like we used to. We we've got wisdom. We've grown, huh? So when it, whenever you get grown in God's house, he has to remind you who you are. Amen. You ain't grown. You ain't grown till I say you grown. Amen. Amen. That's what my mother used to say. Listen, Mama, I mean, honey, you ain't grown till I say you grown. long as you're in my house, you ain't grown. Huh? Grow up outside of here somewhere else, but you ain't getting grown up in here. So anyway, he so she she sent clothes to him to take away his sackcloth, and he didn't he refused it. He said, uh-uh, "This ain't no time for games, girlfriend." So then Esther uh, then Esther called for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, who he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was. What is going on? Can you please shut up out there? I'm trying to be the queen. I just got my nails on. Your crown looking good. It's all spruced up, polished up, whatever. So Hatak, verse 6, went forth to Mordecai to the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened to him and all the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy him. Also, he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree. It was given at Shushan to destroy them to show it to Esther and to declare it to her and to charge her that she should go into the king, make supplication to him and make requests before him for her people. So Esther gets the skinny to 411. She gets instructions on what she knows the whole deal. And she knows what God would compel her to do. Because Mordecai's never steered her wrong. He's never told her, gave, given her any counsel that was not right. But here, this ain't pretty. This is something that's going to get real ugly real quick. And she knows it. And so she's stumbling a little bit. Amen. 
<laughs> thinking about it. See, I got to pray about it. <laughs> I don't know if I can do all this now. Wait a minute. So in in uh, so Esther verse again verse ten again spoke to Hatak and gave him commandment to Mordecai. All the king's servants and all of the king's provinces do know. Now this is now wait a minute, Morty. I just can't jump up and do stuff. You know. If anybody comes to the king's inner court who isn't called, there's one law of his to put him to death. Except, oh, okay, so we do have a little fine print here, Esther. Such to whom the king should hold out his golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called in to come to the king for 30 days now, Morty. Come on now, Morty. You can't call me to do this, Morty. So they told the excuse to Mordecai. And Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. He said, listen, girlfriend. Don't think that you yourself are going to escape in the king's house over all the rest of the Jews. In other words, you just like us. Uh, I don't care what you got on your head. I don't care you got your nails done. I don't care how pretty. But you're going to get it just like we do if you don't step up to the plate. This is your hour. And so he says, <clears throat> he says, for if you hold your peace at this time, he said, God's going to come and do it through somebody else. He said, this work will get done. And see, that's what you got to know about your God when you take a stand for him. You can't be out there in your little protest group confused and not knowing what you're doing. You got to hear from God yourself. Mordecai's job more than anything was to hear from God. It wasn't to kiss up to people in the palace so he could survive from day to day. Mordecai has a vision greater than anybody probably in that whole province because he has a vision of the people of God being free and going back to their homeland as was promised. Esther likes it where she at. Amen. Because she's got it made. If anything comes up she might be able to slip a favor in here and there for her peeps. But she's going to try to hold on to pretty as long as she can. And so this is what happens to us sometimes. We don't take the 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 command of God and the instruction of God seriously enough to let go of our comfortable pretty lives. There are times when you you need to shut everything off. TV, internet, smartphone. Shut all that down and get yourself over into the word until a symptom leaves you. Until you get some peace of mind. Until you get a, a drop in some values You know that they're watching. Something's got to break for you. And you got to let all the comfortable pretty stuff go until that happens. See what happens, we let go of it for a minute, try it for a while, and pretty soon we're right back to pretty again. We're right back to comfortable again. See, we're right back to the whatever we do to amuse ourselves rather than seeing your need for healing as your need for relationship with God. See, the Jews' need for deliverance was a need for their relationship with God to improve. Because they had none. Being away from the temple, being away from the, the priesthood and all that kind of stuff takes a toll. 
you get assimilated into that culture you go back into the world as far as your likes and dislikes but we get afraid to totally divorce ourselves from the world because we're out there in a place we've never been before and so here you look at it this generation that's in Persia at this time knows nothing about worship they know nothing about sacrifice they know nothing about getting close to God but they're going to find out you understand if you're going to survive you're going to have to find these things out you're going to have to know these things you're going to have to participate you're going to have to do more you're going to have to get closer to God you have to divorce yourself away from the world in order to find God so no faith ain't pretty all the time it's not comfortable all the time it's not what you want it to be all the time sometimes faith has to get down and dirty against the devil you got to arm wrestle the devil I was thinking about Henry uh, Henry Groover was was sick with a cancer and was told by a doctor to go home and get comfortable with his family because he only had 12 days to live. On the 12th day, he kept doing what God told him to do. Kept preaching, kept ministering. Day 12, he had an appointment at a church. And he said, that pastor laid hands on me and I was healed. Every symptom left my body immediately after I got there. But it wasn't an instant healing. See, we look at when it happens and things as instant. It had been a walk for him. And this was a man who loved God, knew God, had intimate, a better relationship probably than most of us in here. Yonder closer. So you got to understand there are some places that we need to go in God sometimes that we don't visit all the time. But they're there for us and we need to be there. So in verse 11 he says all of the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that whosoever man or woman shall come into the king's inner court who is not called. Inner court of the king represents the throne room of God we have access to that because of the blood of Jesus so he holds out Jesus holds out by his blood the golden scepter to us so that we can come in and dine with him talk to him sup with him commune with him and so Mordecai told Esther in verse 13 don't think that you're going to escape he said and if you don't do this God will bring deliverance and enlargement from some other place he said but I know God is going to deliver see he's been fasting already he's been praying already he's been mourning already so he's got instruction from God this is God's first choice but Mordecai says if the first choice don't happen a second one will happen you understand what I'm saying you may not be on that second train Esther you see and so he says for if you hold your peace at this time verse 14 then shall enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place but you and your husband's house will be destroyed for who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this in other words Mordecai said Esther you know what Ever since I got you into this Miss Persia contest, I've been wondering, God, is this all you want out of this situation? You understand? Sometimes you have questions in your mind as to, God, you are doing something here. It's it's unusual, it's unique, and it's a major blessing. What is really behind this other than what I can see? You understand what I'm saying? You're not doing all this for just my benefit. But there is a kingdom purpose in all this as well. And so Mordecai kind of always had that little nagging feeling in there. 
Esther was put up here for something greater than just looking pretty. So Esther told them in verse 13 returned Mordecai she said go gather all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me and neither eat nor drink three days night or day. I and my maidens also will fast likewise and so will I go into the king which is not according to the law and if I perish I perish. So Esther says I'm down with it. Uh, you give me I'll, I'll I'll take care of things on my end. I'll make sure that there is a spiritual atmosphere here. See, when you're when you're connected to the world, when you're connected to your comfortable life, you've got to begin to do the things that create a spiritual atmosphere around you or you won't break that hold that the world has over you. You won't break it. And so she decides three days, three nights, don't eat, don't drink anything. That's that's what God's given her to break that power of darkness that hovers over that palace. So you can't tell me you can't break the devil's power. She can do it back then and they didn't have a covenant as good as ours. You can break the devil's power whenever you are. You just get serious with God. You get make yourself know that you won't be comfortable for a season until this thing breaks. And then make up your mind you're not going to go back to your comfortable pretty life anymore. You're going to hold on to God's standard. Dodie Olstein, uh, when she was dying of liver cancer, they held out no hope for her. Her husband talked to Norval Hayes about it, and Norval said, "Well, Dodie can she can she doesn't have to die; she can live." And Norval told her what to do: get in that word, get in there night and day. And so, when when Dodie committed to the word, she was healed. That's been over twenty twenty some odd years ago, and she still does the same word every day. She said, what got me healed is keeping me healed. She said, I know what it's like to be at death's door and I don't plan to go back there anymore. So, I mean, she could do a normal life, but she's got to keep that spiritual routine, keep you that foundation under you. Sometimes it's good to fast once a week. I'll do that. I'll, you know, on Fridays, I don't eat anything until sundown. You understand what I'm saying? There are certain things that that I've grown accustomed to doing. Now we started doing it for the empowerment meeting. Remember that? And uh, you know I see people just eat any time. And I think well that's why you haven't gotten any farther than you've gotten. You know in the things of God. People who, who don't like to, to get down with God don't get much. They continue to struggle just for basic things. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you need to respect what God is doing to bless people. Even though you don't think you want to be a part of it, it's good to do it. And you try and do it and see if it don't help you. Amen? And while you're not eating, shut the TV off. Don't sit up there and play computer games all morning and all that kind of amusement. You know, get alone with God. And that's what was what Esther did she uh, told him that she was going to cooperate with his instructions they would be fasting it as well and and asking expecting God to give her favor with the king so that she could stop what was going to happen to destroy his people so verse 17 Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him and so Esther, in the end, was able to reverse this 
the um, destruction that was about to come upon God's people. Amen. And so it's important. See you can't reverse a curse unless you are under the blood of Jesus. She's not reversing a curse. So don't try to put words in my mouth. She's reversing a decree of destruction that has come up. Only person can reverse a curse is God through his blood. You got me. She didn't have that kind of power. We don't either. All we do is is participate in redemption. Amen. So and God intends to get the job done. Period. If he does it through Esther, that's fine. She's his first pick. But he always has another pick. Understand that about God. It's that's you know the people who get real important. You know, we got the biggest church and so and so and we got the biggest church here and blah 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 blah. And every time you look up somebody's some scandals breaking out. Somebody there is not serving God. They got people who are abusing children and all this kind of stuff. Worldly you know, all this kind of nonsense goes on. But you got the biggest one. You understand what I'm saying? Uh big is good if you're serving God. You know, it's all good if you're serving God. And so God has a way of making sure that his work gets done. If he can't get it done through the, the people we normally think are doing God's will, then he'll get it done through somebody else. Amen. Uh, we were, I was watching this, uh, um, situation when they had all the floods in Houston. And some of the larger churches say they were too flooded to let people in. And then they had people, spies, go down there and say, there's no water here at this church. This church is totally dry. What are you talking about? You see what I'm saying? So uh, God, and, but, but right across the street from him was a woman that had a church. She said, yeah, our basement is flooded, but we just take people on the top floor. She said, this is an emergency. She said, they, the, uh, she said, if anything happens, we'll get a warning to get these people out of here. But right now, they need to get out of their flooded homes. They need a place to go to. And so there are many times people that God would pick to do things fail him. They say no. They want to stay comfortable. They want to stay pretty. They want to stay where they are and think it will never happen to them. And so Mordecai tells her up front, you'll die. You know, if you don't do this, the judgment against you will be so strong because you were in a position to do something and you refused to do it. So Esther had to reduce herself to waiting in the king's court instead of... You know, when the king calls, she goes. Now she's got to beg to get in to see him, you know, with everybody else. And so, uh, she, she gets, gets a, a, a position there where she can go in and, and talk to the king. Uh, but, you know, it, it came at a price. You got me? She had to stand there and wait to be acknowledged before she could go in, you know, and not sure if he was going to hold out the scepter to her. Amen. Verse In chapter 5, verse 1, now it came to pass on the third day. So this was after her work of fasting was done. Esther put on her royal apparel. So sackcloth and ashes are over. She had to dress up before she could go into the king. But on the inside, she was a totally different person. 
Amen. So it stood in the inner court of the king's house over against the king's house. And the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house over against the gate of the house. And it was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter. Now her life is spared. But to what degree? That was in his hand, so Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. Then said the king to her, What do you want, Esther? What is your request, even up to half the kingdom? Esther answered, If it seemed good to the king, let the king and Haman come this day to a banquet that I have prepared for them. So this is, this is the, um, um, let me see respect and honor that she has to give him instead of just asking him right there for what she wants going for the goods it's a matter of because just like when we go before the throne of God we worship him we praise him we exalt him you don't just rush in and start telling what you want etc etc you have to pay him uh, respect you have to pay him honor and allow him to see where your heart is you're not just out for yourself but you want to make him comfortable in the process as well and so that's that's how she approached him amen knowing that the wife he fired (laughs) you know what i'm saying so she's sensitive to the fact that she has to be respectful to him and to his office and so then she humbles herself uh, because it's do or die time she does everything that that she feels needs to be done in order to give him favor back because he has given her favor so you all know the story she presents she has a banquet uh, for the king she invites him he and Haman back a second day so that she can open up to him and and confront Haman about his decision and his plot to want to kill the people and as you know Haman gets hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai the Jewish people then the decree has already gone out it cannot be reversed and this is something that we need to know about our God if an earthly king couldn't reverse his words our God even more doesn't reverse once he decides to do something for you he's going to do something for you he never changes his mind about blessing his people his word is irreversible and it stands forever now he where God will change is if he can add more mercy to his commands you got me he will err on the side of mercy if there's any error in God you got me so good good rulers and good governors will always if they have to waffle a little bit they will waffle on the side of mercy rather than on the side of hard judgment that's why I don't listen to these people oh God's judging America because we tolerate abortion well what are you doing against it can you do any more than people who have been praying ever since it's been instituted? I met people who are praying against abortion when I was a brand new Christian. They had been praying since the 70s when it was enacted. And so it's, and then all of a sudden somebody who's new to the party, you just found out what the deal was. It's been going on forever. Now you're ready to see everybody judged. And we passed that stage a long time ago. We serve a God of mercy. Amen. 
you always err on the side of mercy. So God will just like when he told Hezekiah he was going to die. Mercy said give him 15 more years. And so that's what God did. He always if he has to to alter his command it's always to show mercy. So he is not disposed to get rid of his people who are blood bought. Are you kidding me? What was the purpose of shedding blood for our salvation if we can't escape the wrath of, of the judgment that's come upon the world? Now the world gets judged all the time. You see people leaving out of here every day because they disobey God. But that does not include the righteous. He does not punish the innocent with the guilty. If your blood bought you are innocent. Amen. You are innocent of all things. Good grief. You know I mean people would call themselves saved and don't even know what they are saved from. They will sit up here and side with these crazy judgment people. Who don't know anything about anything. They barely know the word. Now all of a sudden they can really throw everybody under the, the hell bus. Just for the sake of, of uh, you know they want to know something. Get real. Go read your Bible. I have nothing to tell me. Get out of here. Amen. Praise God. I know one thing. I know what the blood has bought for me. If I'm ever in question about whether God wants me to continue or not. I know how to get on my face and plead for my life. You understand what I'm saying? And you need to know it too. There's a place you can go in God. You can get 15 more years if you want. That pathway's already been made. You can get good health if you want it. That pathway's already been made. Sit up listening to the nonsense. These crazy people. You got people out there saying the world's going to end in 12 years. Now, those people are totally godless. They don't know God, and you see how crazy you can get if you don't know God. Those people don't even deserve a voice. Crazy people have been saying that ever since the world's been in existence. For years, people thought the world was flat. Huh? Because they didn't read the Bible. Everything you need to know about creation is sitting right there in that Bible. Then they'll persecute people. Who make that knowledge available to the public. People who started the uh, uh, creation museum down there. They get persecuted all the time. People in the city. They had a, a, a uh, uh, an agreement where they they entered into a partnership with the city. To give away discount passes for their museum. Along with uh, one of the other museums. And people got offended because they told a salvation story in there. Well, what do you think of creation museum go talk about but God so they had to disconnect them from that oh, we're not gonna uh, people just you know, they don't want to be indoctrinated well too bad we probably won half the city already before you even knew what was going on amen but it shows you how crazy people are without God See, we've had we've had at least two generations in this nation of totally godless people Take God out of the schools. Take him out of churches. Because now we got you know these entertainment facilities. 
many times. <laughs> Just hop up and up, 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 up and down. I was reading, you know, every poor Justin Bieber always is asking for prayer. And he's in a church. You know, his pastor's getting real famous by being his pastor, but is he helping him? Why is he still struggling with sin? Why is he still a basket case? Need to get out of the limelight so you can find God. Amen. Maybe Justin Bieber needs to get on his knees. Somebody needs to tell him to do that. The good pastor would tell him that. Amen. Quit holding him up as a celebrity. Letting that open doors for you to get on the view and all this kind of stuff. Stop it. Stop it. Stop embarrassing the Lord. Cut it out. So how much time we got? Oh my. We can do a lot of damage to the devil in 20 minutes. Amen. So anyway Esther was able to fulfill her her purpose for being in that palace. Not just for pretty. She was there to get ugly if she needed to. Get down and dirty with the devil and wrestle him. On behalf of God's people. And represent all people. Uh, had, had she not done that she would have represented everybody but God's people. You don't want to do that. You want to be faithful to what God's called you to do. So I, I thought I'd talk a little bit also about Abigail who is in First Samuel chapter 13. I likes me some Abigail. She's a very wise, godly woman. But I believe her wisdom was born out of hardship. And this is something that you have to understand about hardship. It's oh, Second Samuel, not first. I'm sorry. Second Samuel. You have to understand this about hardship. Trouble comes to everybody. That's pretty well established. But it can work together for your good if you will quit yanging about it, crabbing about it, crying about it, and complaining about it. And understand why you're in the hardship that you're in. Okay. Now wait a minute. Oh shoot! I wrote. Now I got it. I got it written down wrong. It is First Samuel, but it's not thirteen. I think maybe it's twenty-three. The Adventures of David. It's not that one either. Why did I write it down cricket like that? How much? 25. That's way back there. It's probably right. Yeah, 25. How can I get that all goofed up? First 25. Um, Where do I want to start here? Uh, it, the backstory I'll tell you. Um, I don't want to read everything. Uh, David is on the run from King Saul. Now David was anointed by Samuel as the next king of Israel. Okay. Unless Saul was dead already 
David's not the king. Now there is a difference between an anointing for an office and stepping into the office. I wish people would understand that. (laughs) There's a difference too between being called and anointed and assuming the office. It, It is three different steps. You don't get called, anointed, and in the office the same day. That's why we got so many squirrely prophets running around and goofy apostles running around. Then they mess up that and then they call themselves something else. You know, they all find some Bible school that will give them a doctorate. And they're not prophet or apostle anymore. They're not doctor somebody. So I guess once you get to doctor, you don't have to prove any of those offices anymore. You're kind of out of God's kingdom and you know kind of but you save face you know you're still trying for pretty amen and so here we are (laughs) it's true Uh, so so here we are David is has been anointed king which means that he's now under the instruction of the Holy Spirit to carry out the office So he has to stay faithful to God and stay under the training of the Holy Spirit until it's time for him to assume the office. When the office is vacated, that's when he'll step in. The Holy Spirit is not giving him permission to to kill King Saul. Because David knows, touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. So he knows better than to raise his hand against him even though Saul is trying to kill him. So he can't even kill this man in self-defense because he knows that he's God's anointed. He knows he knows that protocol. He that's ingrained in him. He knows also that the same Holy Spirit that helps him rests on King Saul. So he's, that's a grave error for him to go in there and take that man's life and he knows it. Amen. Even when Saul was asleep and David cut off the hem of, of his robe and showed it to him, he was deeply convicted by the Holy Spirit. Because cutting off somebody's robe, the robe of a person's garment or the hem of the garment represented the covenant of God when you cut somebody's robe you cut them off from God like wishing them dead taking that take it upon yourself to separate them from God and that was not allowed anyway and so David knew that that the minute he did it he knew it was wrong and he knew he couldn't kill him either and so he he backed off from that and continued running from Saul even though it was hard for him but it forced him to stay close to God so that's the reason for any trial in a believer's life is to keep you close to God help you to learn more about God you know we say things oh God's an ever present help in trouble but we don't want to experience that see it's one thing to say it it's another thing to really need God's help when you're in trouble huh? unless you're, you're good at figuring out your own answers all the time me myself I'm not very good at that so I thank God that he is with me in my trouble. 
Amen. Most people spend most of their time trying to clear themselves of being the cause of their trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I just did so and so. Well, I didn't mean to do that. Well, I didn't do anything. Uh, just call for your help so you can get out of it. Amen. And quit, you know, making things worse than what they really are. Just call for your help. So anyway, uh, uh, here we are, First Samuel chapter 25. So uh, <clears throat> Samuel has died and so uh, David is still scattered out amongst and about trying to survive. And uh, let me see. Yeah. So David and his young men are, you know, survival in survival mode. One of the things that they do, they try to do as many kindnesses as possible because that's God's way. When kindness doesn't work and they're starving, they got to go rob somebody, take over. You know, I mean, it's just the way it was. That's how people survive. They conquered other people. They pushed weaker people off the land and they took the land. That's just the way it was. You know, people in this country are all up in arms. See, we live in a, an age where we have too many generations who have had the privilege of not having to fight for the freedom that we have in this nation. So now to them, everything that we do and we've done in the past is wrong. It's wrong. We took the land from the red man. That's wrong. We enslaved black people. That's wrong. Well, people have been doing that forever. And look around the nations of the world and see if it ain't still happening. So go talk to them about how wrong it is, what they're doing. They won't do that. They'd rather cut off their own life source, amen, rather than understand and do uh, the right thing where they are. So here David and his men are are um, uh, in survival mode, as we said. And so David was uh, in the wilderness and they run across uh, a herd of sheep that are being guarded by some, some men who aren't very capable. Because they could, they could have beat the men up, took sheep killed them all and gone about their business but instead of doing that David decides that they're going to protect them and help them so that they can survive and they can can uh, get back successfully etc etc and they did that so what David does and this is customary in in pagan areas and in areas at that time what happened was if you provided shelter safety lodging anything from somebody you were entitled to be repaid by the person that owned all of that so david goes to nabal he finds out nabal's the owner he sends his his young men over there and asks if they could have some some provisions and things like that for the young men who helped take care of me told him the whole story how we we did this and did that nabal in response uh, more or less curses them, refuses. And, uh, in verse 10, 25, Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? 
It's just probably another runaway slave, a runaway servant somewhere. I don't care nothing about people like that. He broke away from his master. You think I'm going to take my bread, my water, and all my stuff and, and give it to somebody like that? Now, it's already been rumored in Israel that David is the next king of Israel. And that's why Saul's fighting him. There, there are people in the know in general. Then there are people in the know in the realm of the Spirit of God. There, there, and this happens all the time. Uh, when I don't care what kind of situation it is. You might think it's clearly a political situation. But there are things that are known in general. But then there are things that are known by the Spirit of God. And so we as believers need to know the things that the Spirit of God knows about each and every situation that comes along. It's just not about um, uh, politics and talking all the time. God is at work in every situation everywhere and we have to find out where God is. Like for instance when we pray our prayers. Our prayers have to do with all aspects of life. Have to do with government, economics, schools, family, every situation. And so we have to know the mind of God in every realm of life in order to be successful at the job God has given us to do. You got me? And so when we understand that we'll know a little bit more about who we are. And we'll understand how to stay faithful to God in our role. But I'm telling you not many people tap in that much. They just believe what they believe based on carnal things, natural things. So here we have these, these Nabal has already given David his negative answer. You know kind of bases him out, embarrasses his, his men. Verse 12, David's young men returned their way and went again and came and told David all those things. And David told his men, put your, put your swords on. You know, we're going to do what we could have done for the last three nights, but we spared their lives hoping to be able to be peaceful. David is learning to be king. Kings will always attempt peace before they'll go killing people. You don't want to be known as people who, uh, people who live by the sword die by the sword. And everybody knows that. So if you don't want to go down to the sword, you try peace with people when you can. And so, uh, David then, he says, you go put every man his sword on. Verse 15, <clears throat> they, they said to them, uh, 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 See, oh, after David decided this, the young men who had carried the message to Nabal went and told his wife Abigail. Now, it sounds like this was their customary thing. As it sounds like everybody knows Nabal is this kind of guy. Okay, we didn't run interference for him before, but this time it's pretty serious, Abigail, because they really want to kill us and they can't. Push that door up a little bit because I don't want that on this uh, recording, okay? Yeah, just push it up a little more because sometimes you can't hear a noise like that in the background. Okay, that's good. All right, sorry, Miss Cly, we just got to preserve our recording a little bit. So, all right. So, um so anyway, David decides he's going to kill everybody. It says the young men go and report this to Abigail, and they tell him they were very good to us. There's nothing missing. They helped us. They were like a wall before us night and day in keeping the sheep. He says uh, 
know and consider what you will do because they're considering to kill us all Abigail and verse 18 Abigail makes haste now she's a a very wealthy woman Uh, she's a very uh, well-known woman there her husband's got a lot of wealth a lot of property all of that she's got many servants they have they're wealthy people but she decides instead of leaning into her position and her wealth because she could have taken a handful of servants and run for her life you understand what I'm saying but she decides instead to sacrifice herself and get ugly so to speak so it's time is get ugly time so she made haste took 200 loaves two bottles of wine five sheep ready dressed five measures of parched corn so she's providing for them them the things that were due them for doing that favor and she said to her servants go on before me behold i come after you but she did not tell her husband amen now wisdom will withhold you don't have to blab everything to everybody wisdom brings with it discretion so she's being discreet and not saying anything to him instead trusting God to spare everybody's life so if she keeps her mouth shut he'll be spared as well and so verse 21 David said she told her servants to go before her and and so now David's swearing an oath he says in verse 22 do God do uh, more and so also to me if I leave any of these men uh, alive by morning when Abigail saw David she ran in haste got off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground and fell at his feet and says upon me lord upon me only let this iniquity did and she says i didn't know i wasn't aware of this i could have made provision you know i'm in charge of the household nobody told me if you can please forgive me amen so she takes responsibility for her husband's iniquity she's an intercessor amen she's not overstepping her boundary she's interceding for him and so uh seeing that the lord is withholding you from shedding innocent blood amen so in david swears an oath in verse 22 he'll either kill or be killed in verse 24 she begs for the life of her household by repenting for her household's error before the king 25 through 28 she begins to honor David as king before he's even king before he assumes the office so this is a key to David this is essential for him this gives him feedback from God on how he's doing so he doesn't decide to get angry and start killing people and and going against the will of God and assuming that kingdom himself and he can wait it out a little longer for God verse 25 let not my lord I pray you regard this man my husband even Nabal he's you know he doesn't do things right he's you know not smart just ignore him you know he said now therefore my lord as the lord lives and as your soul lives seeing that the lord has withholding you from coming to shed blood from avenging yourself with your own hand now let your enemies and they that seek evil to my lord be as nabal in other words she's blessing him 
with a prophecy that tells him let this man go and you'll find out everybody you're running from now everybody who's trying to get your life are going to fall just like he is so she's prophesying everybody's doom who works against king david and she says i pray you forgive the trespass of your handmaiden and he says and because the lord fights your battles and you fight the battles of the lord and no evil has been fall found in you all the days of your life now how she know that except she get it from god yet a man is risen to pursue you and seek your soul she's talking about king saul but the sword of my lord shall be found in the bundle of life so you're going to survive this altercation with with uh king saul and the, with the lord your god and the souls of your enemies them shall he sling out as in the as in the middle of a sling and it shall come to pass when the lord shall have done all of this and he's going to do all that he's spoken concerning you that he will appoint you ruler over israel so here he not only gets the provision and all of that but he also gets a prophecy that is able to carry him to the throne that's what he's been seeking david has really been seeking the counsel of god and that's going to do him better than all of the food and if you don't get food go kill somebody and steal food he's tired of running and he's tired of, of just barely living. He wants now to step into what he wants. And, and Abigail lets him know this was your final test before God to make you ready to assume the office of king. Yeah, you've been called before the foundation of the earth. You were anointed 13 years ago, man, when you were just a little kid. Now you're almost 30 years old and it's time for you to assume the throne. But it's not going to happen if you kill everybody. Got me? You're going to have to withdraw your hand from shedding blood now and get into peace because that's what kings do. So faith will take you to places unknown and do great things. You see these both these women. I like it. When you see women step in because it speaks of the church. So these are things that we can grab onto as the church and know that they'll work for us. See, they will work for us. If we'll humble ourselves and, and not just start, not stay in that comfort zone, you know, I call it pretty. I know you might have your own word for it, but it's, it's not about pretty all the time. It's about getting the job done for God. Amen. All right. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for giving us understanding of how to use faith in all situations, Lord. We thank you. That you know all, you see all, and that we will be blessed in all things. So we honor you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen.